0: If you're just joining us, we are um, nearing the end of a sermon series that we've been working on. We we kind of rotate through different series. We'll study different books of the Bible, and we'll bounce kind of New Testament, Old Testament, Gospel, Epistle. And then we'll throw in topical series occasionally. And we've been doing a, a topical series titled, You're Only Human and Why That's a Good Thing, and following Kep- Kelly Capic's book with the same title. And so if you've been following along, you know that this week would technically be the very last week because we're on the last chapter where he poses the question, How do we live faithfully with our human limits or with our finitude? But we're actually going to break this topic down um, into four chunks, which he does in his chapter. And so that's the question that we're going to be wrestling with um, today is like, how do we live faithfully um, with our human limits? Now, of course, that question already assumes or presupposes that we want to live faithfully. And biblically, to live faithfully means that we want to live in a way that glorifies God and loves and serves our neighbors it is not a given that we want to live faithfully even if you claim the name of christ this is something the bible makes very clear and and we need to make sure we address right out of the gate a passage that really is shocking and kind of hits on this is given to us in job chapter one where it says that god and satan are having a conversation don't let that throw you off and get you twisted about why is this happening he doesn't tell us right our god is in the heaven he does what he pleases But he's having this conversation with Satan that we need to know about. And in the conversation, the Lord says to Satan, If you consider my servant Job, there is no one like him on the earth. He is a blameless and upright man who fears God, or you could say who lives faithfully, and he turns away from evil. And then Satan immediately responds and says, Does Job live faithfully or does he fear you for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has? on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But if you stretch out your hand and you take all of these material earthly possessions, he won't simply stop being faithful. He'll curse you to your face. And a part of what Satan is saying to God in this kind of private interaction is, let's don't kid ourselves. They don't actually love you because they love you. They only go through the motions for the most part of you know, living faithfully or doing these religious duties because they want you to give them earthly blessings, you know, a prosperity in their job, protection from, you know, sickness or illness or whatever else. And those things in and of themselves aren't bad things, but he's like, let's don't get it twisted. When I first came to Hope in 2006, I mean, it was a wake-up call in a thousand ways, but one of the things that um, they did for me was they said, we want you to go to the pastors here, so we want you to go to Barnabas Basic Which is a one-day seminar that's meant to kind of help you become more aware um, of how you relate and why you relate the phrase they use is we all um, seek to get what we want and avoid what we don't want without having to depend on guide well at barnabas basic which was amazing i was in a small group and and the counselor at barnabas who led my small group had a ton of wisdom and i was kind of blown away just by her insights and really just a lot of, of the way she asked questions and Following that, um, I signed up for a Barnabas Basic one, two, and three, like 10-week courses to go deeper, and she taught the first few. And as I got to hear her story, I found out that when she got to Hope, um, she was super mad at God. And and her, I guess, own confession was, I was mad because I was living faithfully, I wasn't doing all these things that my other family members or friends were doing, um, and God wasn't giving me the desires of my heart. I wanted to be married, I wanted to have a better job, I wanted whatever else the case may be. And so when she came to hope, the pastors were like, hey, like, you need to stop coming to church. You need to stop reading your Bible. You need to stop praying. In other words, you need to stop pretending. Like You're not doing any of those things because you actually want to glorify God. You're only doing them because you think that's going to put him in your debt and he'll owe you. And he doesn't play that game. And, and so one, that's never going to work. And two, you should go and outside of the church, try to find life and lasting hope apart from pretending and faking it in here. Because if you can, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If you can find true life, lasting hope apart from Jesus, then he's a liar and a fraud and you shouldn't come back anyway. But once you realize that you can't, that everything the world offers to give our lives meaning, significance, and lasting hope is going to be tried and found wanting, then maybe you can come back. And even as we say in the tagline, we want to be real Jesus, looking to real people, we don't want to be real Jesus, excuse me, we want to be real people who look to the real Jesus for real change. Um, And that's what she did. She said she went out for a season and and did as much as she could to try to find happiness um, in this world. And it's similar, a guy after the first service came up to me, he said, this is similar to what we tell people in AA. Often what will happen is if someone's in AA, someone else might know it, and they'll say, hey, will you go meet with my husband or my friend because they have a drinking problem. And people that are in AA and pursuing sobriety will go meet with them, and if the person they meet with says, oh, I'm just meeting with you because my you know, wife or whoever tells you, I don't really have a problem, they're like, fine, go drink. And then the spouse is like, are you crazy? They need to stop drinking. He's like, yeah, but until they bottom out, and realize that, that they need something, that they need a righteousness and a hope and a deliverance they can't produce, we're just playing games. And so I want to say that on the front end. You may be here and your heart is angry and bitter while we're singing these hymns about greatest faithfulness. You're, you're, internally, you're just fuming. And so it may be that you've been pretending and faking it for so long. This isn't a strategy to create more parking or seats, as a side note. <laughs> but it is hopefully an invitation to say, you can be honest, and we want this to be a place where you're honest. Now, you may be here for the first time in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, um, because you have been trying to find life, meaning and significance in the world, and, and you're here in a broken, contrite spirit saying, I hope that there's hope to be found and that there's grace and mercy available. And let me tell you something. If that's where you are, there's good news. One hymn that we sing on a regular basis is, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched. Jesus ready stands to save, full of pity, love, and power. In other words, Jesus is ready to extend mercy and grace that will change your life for eternity right now, this moment. You don't have to come here for six months and clean up your life. You don't have to do anything else other than humble yourself and say, Lord, will you have mercy on me, a sinner? We have this amazing story given to us in Luke 18. And Jesus is telling this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous or that they were better than other people. And as a result, no surprise, they treated others with contempt. And he said there were two people that went to church to pray. One was a Pharisee, a religious leader, super devout, who would have said, I live faithfully in every way. And the other was a tax collector, which was the complete polar opposite in essence. And the Pharisee stood up by himself and prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Here's all the things that I'm doing to prove I'm being faithful. But the tax collector, wouldn't, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but just beat his chest and said, God, will you be merciful to me, a sinner, a sinner? And Jesus says, let's not get it twisted in any way. This man who asked for mercy, he went home justified, or in other words, reconciled to God, having God's favor and grace and love rest upon him rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If that's new news, but you feel it inviting your heart to something, we're going to move on to the actual topic we're discussing today but don't leave without talking to some of us. We, we have so many amazing, loving, gracious people that serve on the women's shepherding team and, and serve as elders and deacons and community group leaders that would love to talk to you. And so, yeah, please grab us after the service. If you're like, hey, I, I don't even know what that would look like to say, God, have mercy on me. We would love to meet, talk, and pray with you. Now, from this point on, we're actually going to address this topic under the assumption that we want to live faithfully. And so I often say when I meet with people for premarital counseling, in the first session, I'm like, hey, why do you want to get married? And the correct answer, um, you know, this is kind of cheating if you want to get married later, is to say, well, I love her or I love him, right? That is the right answer you're supposed to say. And then I'll kind of joke and say, okay, I'm going to take, it at, take you at your word and trust that you actually do want to love them. And so we're going to actually push on that every single week we meet, meaning if you actually are committed to loving the other person, you'll be willing to listen to the ways you hurt them, fail them, the ways you need to change and repent and grow, um, or you just hear because you think this person is going to make your life better and that's their job is to make you happy, which isn't what it means to love. So from this point on, we're going to actually consider the question, what does it look like for us to live faithfully within our human limits? And then Kapik, the way he answers this is he says there's kind of four things that a faithful life embraces. He says our lives have a definite shape as well as definite limits. We all go through seasons. We are not self sufficient. We depend on God for relief and provision, and we grow weary. A faithful life embraces, and here's the four things we're going to look at in the following weeks it embraces rhythms and seasons, it recognizes vulnerability, expresses lament and gratitude, and then finally, it rests in the confidence of our faithful guide. And so today we're wanting to wrestle through the question what does it look like to live faithfully through the different seasons? and rhythms of life. Now, you may expect with that being um, said that we're going to immediately talk about how to have healthier um, prayer times and journaling and time in the Word, better rhythms of silence and solitude. That's often what we talk about when we say, how do you live with healthy, grace-centered rhythms? That's not what Capic's going to do. He's going to kind of zoom out big picture. If you're stirred and want to learn more, in your bulletin I put a couple of resources, The Common Rule by Justin Early, that I recommended the whole church read last year, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, a lot of community groups have studied. Those are just two more recent books, but there is a plethora of resources on how to actually have healthier daily rhythms of time with God, prayer, journaling, confession, and so forth. But what Capic is going to do is back out a little bit bigger and say, how do we embrace faithfully the different um, rhythms and seasons of life? And the biblical answer is you have to start by just acknowledging that there are different rhythms and seasons in our life that we're not in control of. And glorifying God and loving our neighbor looks different in all those different seasons. And so one of the passages I wanted to read was from Ecclesiastes 3. If you're not familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, this is a part of what we refer to as the wisdom literature in Scripture. And so we have a poem in chapter 3, and here's what it says. For everything there is a season... A time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, the author of Ecclesiastes, in essence, is wrestling with the question, um, what is the purpose of life? How do I live with meaning and significance? He says this in chapter 1, verse 3, what does a man gained by all of his toil or labor with which he toils under the sun. And and as he wrestles through this question throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he lands on this beautiful poem about the complexity and different seasons and rhythms of life. And there's a few key takeaways that we should notice as we read this poem. And the first thing that we're meant to realize is arguably the most obvious point, and that is we are not in control of our lives. He overwhelmingly, after starting with the big picture of there's a a time to be born and a time to die, which incorporates our whole life, he then goes through these amazing, like verse by verse, different experiences of life. And he says that there's, and, and you probably notice as you read it, there's no logical progression or natural connection with the opposites that he lays out, either with the ones that come before or the ones that come after. And that's on purpose, He's not just scattered in his thoughts. The randomness that we kind of see and feel in this poem is meant to help us say, oh, okay, I'm not crazy because my life often feels random. And often the seasons and experiences of my life um, feel thrust upon me. I, I don't have control. I don't have control over when I'm born or when I am die. I don't have control over when there's war. The seasons that God has established to plant and then harvest, these things are outside of our control. Again, I know that we know this, but the natural sinful disposition of our heart and our culture is if you work hard enough, if you plan well enough, if you're strategic enough and take advantage of technology enough, you can be in control. And and that's just simply not true. It's never going to be true. And it's actually good news that that's not true. David Gibson, in his commentary, Living Life Backward, which is a study of Ecclesiastes, says, living well in God's world means recognizing that when it comes to our own lives, we are not many gods, and this is his creation, not ours. We have all the pieces of our life given to us, and things come and go and seasons change, and it is only God who knows exactly where everything is meant to go, in which order, at what time, and why. Now, you can take that a few different ways. Um, If you don't belong to Jesus, then that may freak you out because you're not in control. And you may leave and say, I want to go to a church that's going to give me a six-step process, you know, to make every day Friday and for me to conquer my life. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that's not going to work, right? But if you belong to Jesus, then you can hear his great encouragement in Matthew 6 where he says, you don't have to be anxious about your life. First, because by being anxious, you can't add a single moment to your life. But rather, you can look at the birds of the air and the grass of the field and think about how God cares for them. And they don't live with anxiety and how much greater value are you than they? Jesus did not shed his blood for birds or for animals, but for us. And so Jesus says, hey, you can, you can take a breath and you can trust your heavenly father who knows all of the needs and fears and wants and anxieties in your life as things are not in control. You're never going to be in control of your life. No matter how hard you work, there's no amount of proper preparation that's going to prevent poor performance in your life. And that's not a joke. I know I love that saying. Preparation can be good and loving, and there's dignified aspects to it. Okay, we're not just trying to be slobs and never plan anything. But you can't prepare your way into controlling your life. And that's one of the main points that we're meant to feel. The second, as we read through this, it highlights how much we need wisdom that we do not naturally possess. It seems early on that there are clear opposites some things are good, some things are bad. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time of love, a time of hate, war and peace. But then many others are not straightforward. A time to speak and a time to be quiet. A time to keep and cast away, to weep and to laugh, to mourn and to dance. When exactly are we supposed to do these things? It all depends, right? These are wisdom questions that, that invite us to have more of a humble posture about the reality that, Lord, in order for me to live faithfully, or just to put it simply, to not live like an utter fool and waste my life and just hurt other people around me, I need a wisdom that I do not naturally possess. And Gibson, again, says this is one of the main points. Life is complex. There are good times, hard times, in between times, a whole manner of lifestyle choices and decisions that require a wisdom that seems to escape us. And so what we're meant to feel as is, is, is we read this is, okay, Lord, how, how do I... How do I gain the wisdom that is necessary for living well in my life. And the overwhelming biblical answer is that our God, who is a gracious, loving giver of good gifts, loves to grant wisdom to those who humbly ask him. And so in Psalm 90, I put this in your bulletin as well. It says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And if you're familiar, Psalm 90 talks a lot about our um, finiteness and about the shortness of our lives and our death In Proverbs 1, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what does this mean? Very simply, how do we get wisdom in order to live faithfully in this life? First, we humbly ask God. James 1, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. That, that statement, if any lacks wisdom, is meant to be, like if you read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity on pride, he says if anyone thinks that they're not conceited, it simply proves how conceited they are. So when it says if any lacks wisdom, a part of knowing um, that I'm not an utter fool is I recognize I need a wisdom I don't naturally possess. Lord, I need a wisdom that comes from you, that the beginning of that wisdom is the fear of the Lord, the reminder that you're God and I'm not, and I'm created to live in humble dependence upon you. And then secondly, how do we get wisdom necessary to live well is that we receive advice and counsel from other people. This is one of the primary ways that God gives wisdom to his people. He doesn't just simply give us um, his word in scripture, which he does, which is truth and it's alive and it is necessary to be wise. But he also gives us the body of Christ. This is what we looked at last week in in the question, do I really need the church? And and if you weren't here, I love that Jennifer Kruger came and shared um, about God's kindness and mercy and faithfulness to her for the past 50 years in the church and how so much of her wisdom in life came not just from memorizing passages of Scripture but walking alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ that were seasons ahead of her, seasons behind her, in the same age or stage season with her. That that's one of the huge invitations of how much we need brothers and sisters in Christ is to receive the wisdom that comes from the Lord. This is another thing that Gibson points out. He says, almost every pair of the poem in Ecclesiastes 3 involves our connection with other people. None of those are like standalone individual experiences. Just under guarding all of that is the emphasis that we are profound, profoundly relational beings and the seasons of our lives are taking up with the navigating different stages of relationships. So again, in Proverbs, He says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. In chapter 12, verse 15, he says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And so the invitation very simply is to be humble and curious, to be willing to confess, Lord, I don't know. So many things in life. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do in this season. So will you give me wi- wisdom and in inviting other people that know you, that walk alongside you, you know, right, that see that the good, the bad, and the ugly of your life. They're going to be uniquely equipped um, by God's Spirit to help speak truth into your life and help you grow in wisdom. Maturing and growing in wisdom will not happen as a solo project, right? Like in the Young Lives Ministry that we support in town, you know, they print those T-shirts that say it takes a village. That's true, right? We should print shirts up that say I take a village, right? Like I need other people in my life, especially people that love me enough to say, this is where you're a fool, right? The people that we naturally, the proverb says, fools do not accept instruction. The natural tendency of our heart is to want to distance ourselves from anyone who pushes on us. And if you do that, you may experience a little bit more comfort and less conflict, but you can just guarantee that you're going to be a fool. Like you're never going to experience wisdom living that way. And so this sets us up to consider Okay, Lord, what does it look like to love you and love my neighbor in the different rhythms and seasons of life? And there's two ways to, uh, to approach this. I feel like there's all these twos I'm throwing out. Two is my favorite number in football anyway. Remember Charles Woodson, who played for Michigan, I love him. He was number two. I, it made me want to be number two. Anyway, so two ways to consider the season that we currently find our in is literally to think about the season that we find ourselves in. Right now it's winter. The days are shorter. We should be asking ourselves, Lord, with two to three less hours of sunlight than in the middle of summer, should my calendar reflect that? Should I have less busyness? Or do I wrongly and foolishly think that because of good creations with technology, I'll just continue to pile more and more stuff on, thinking that if I'm productive and efficient, it means I have more value. The world is broken and fallen in many ways, and there are rhythms and seasons with summer and winter and springtime and harvest that we're meant and invited into by our creator to live in light of. Like our lives and schedules and rhythms should look different because of the seasons we find ourselves in. And along with that, thinking about what season we find ourselves in um, as, a, as a country, as a citizen of a certain land, when it says that there's a time for a war and a time for peace, if we were living um, during World War II, our lives would obviously look different. So that should make us think and consider in light of what's going on in our country, how should my life um, as a child of God be different? Well, I said this last week, we live in the most politically toxic time arguably since the civil war. And so one of the things we, sh- we should be considering is Lord, our country and the world is biting and devouring each other. So how should I seek to live faithfully and different to glorify you and love my neighbor? to maybe be a, a bridge that, that builds connections and extends grace in ways that aren't natural to me. I started reading a book about this last week called Uncommon Ground. And Timothy Keller is one of the co-authors, along with a variety of other people that are asking the question, how can we work um, to find common ground with people who we are going to disagree about the common good of our society? So this isn't just we disagree politically, but we disagree about like, what is actually even good for us as a country. And I love that Keller says this, the ability to put ourselves in someone else's shoes requires humility. And the impetus for doing so requires patience, which is rooted in hope and tolerance that is grounded in love. This is increasingly difficult at a time in which social media and other technology significantly reduce our ability to exercise empathy. Indeed, we have seen a sharp decline in our ability to sympathize, understand, and talk face to face With those who have different views and beliefs. If our culture cannot form people who can speak with both conviction and empathy across deep differences, then it becomes even more important for the church to use its theological and spiritual resources to produce such people. The Christian calling is to be shaped and reshaped into people whose every thought and action is characterized by faith, hope, and love, and who then speak and act in the world with humility, patience, and tolerance. Like, I love that. Like, like, this is something that we should regularly be considering, right? I'm not saying that there's never a place to speak truth, right? We are commanded to speak truth in love. But I can say overwhelmingly, and this isn't just because I struggle too much with thinking that my opinion needs to be heard, but overwhelmingly, I think there's an invitation by our gracious Savior to work harder at listening well, at even trying to understand where someone's coming from, instead of just immediately reading something quickly and wanting to drop kick them, whether on social media or in gossip to others, right? I know at least for me, because I'm you know there's no news flash to anyone who knows me. I'm so reactionary, right? That, that, that even in talking with the elders and them asking how can we love you better and help you, they love me so well when they say, "Okay, you're triggered. You're fired up about something." Take some time to think, breathe, pray, and then let's revisit. And so even two weeks ago when I was fired up and triggered about something, Matthew Hanlon, one of our elders, who's known me for 16 years, said, hey, listen, I love you, and I actually want you to go back and reread that text that you're so upset about and see if it says what you think it said. And guess what? It didn't. Right? I had worked it over in my head so much, and I know I'm not alone when I do this, and just run down this course of anger and frustration and bitterness And so just having a brother in Christ who gave me space, who then lovingly said, hey, let's actually check to see if that's exactly what it said, right? And so it didn't mean the whole issue went away, but it at least put me back in a position to to find some common ground, to do what Jesus' brother James says in James 1. Hey, let's be quick to listen and slow to speak and therefore slow to get angry. That This is something because of the season we find ourselves in as a country that we should be actively Working hard to do. Now, the final thing how do I live faithfully in the different season of life that I'm in? And this may have been what you thought I was going to say right out of the gate, so I saved it to the end. Just think about the season and stage of life you're in and how it looks different to follow Jesus if you're a high school kid, if you're right out of college, if you're a young professional with no kids, if you're married with no kids, if you're an empty nester, if you're a grandparent, right? We've got three daughters. 13, 11, and 8. It is chaos mode at our house all the time. Stephanie's gone this weekend to visit college friends, right? My weekends look very different than they did when I was single, when we first got married with no kids. And, And so a part of the invitation is to say, okay, Lord, first help me be kind to myself. Because one of the dangers, right, Comparisons, the thief of joy is to look around at what other people in the church are doing and think, oh, because my life and relationship with Jesus doesn't look exactly like that in this season, then I must be a failure, right? And and Satan, as the father of lies, is always going to want to tell you ways that you're failing and should be doing more. And so just having the humility that hopefully invites you to have conversations with others about, hey, what does it look like for you to follow Jesus during the season that I'm now in? And then that that means people that are in your same stage, people that are older, so you have wisdom to pass on to people that are younger. And and so just recognizing that we live securely in the grace that we've received, we can kind of take a breath and say, Lord, I do want to know. I I do want to know what it means to live faithfully in this season without having assumptions and thinking it has to look exactly like X, Y, or Z. And again, I know I'm not the only one who struggles with this, and so I'm excited today that... I asked my friend Cece Shite to come and share a little bit about what this um, journey has looked like for her because, as long as I've known Cece, she's always done such a faithful job of wrestling with this question. So, Cece, why don't you come on up and share with us?
1: Hey, y'all. I'm Cece. Um, been hanging out here at Hope since the first year it started. So, ages me a little bit, 21 years ago. And so, whenever I started um, hanging out here, I was a few years out of college and i um, in full-time ministry and had an incredible community and spent my time more or less the way I wanted to. Um, but I had a deep, deep desire to be married and be in a different spot than God had me in. Um, I was growing where I was planted. I was planted here in Charlotte and um, I, I was growing here, but I had my eye On the things I didn't have and that created a deep ache within me. It was actually that deep ache that pushed me um, into regular times in God's Word. You would have hoped at the time that it would have been because I was preparing Bible studies for high school kids, but it was more the ache that was pushing me into God's Word and um, God really used that. Uh, For ten years my rhythms with the the Lord, they ebbed and flowed. And the lord he he just kept me so near he kept me near as i really grieved prolonged singleness he kept me near as i watched my mom decline with early onset alzheimer's he kept me near as i walked a rocky road in ministry Um, i look back now and i see how much of the time of my time spent with jesus in those early morning hours um It was full of lament and crying out for life to look different. Consistently, he received my questions. He held my hand. He challenged me um, to truly just be where I was. Um, It wasn't easy, but I I wanted to give my life away. I wanted to serve him. I also wanted to keep up with my peers. They were getting married and having kids and moving on. it was, it was truly a tug-of-war. We wrestled a lot. Um, but I did. I showed up, I served. I did give my time and talent. Um, I had the time, and the Lord convinced me it was worth it to give it. And it, it was worth it. After 10 years of rhythms that only I could interrupt, I get married. Praise the Lord. And um, it was what I'd longed for, what I'd begged for. And um, and then suddenly my rhythm that I was used to um, in this, se- this new season was different. Um, it was a little disorienting to have a man in my room, like, interrupting my normal. I mean, I'd spent years doing my own thing, right? And, um, and I had to find a new way. Um, the Lord um, did give me a new way, um, and, wor- and we worked out a regular time. Um, but it was different. It was different. Um, A lesson I was actually learning relationally at being new to marriage was that um, different isn't always a bad thing. Um, Different is just different. And um, time with Jesus, it looked different. The time I had to give away looked different. Um, It was another tug of war. And I began to be more curious about where I should be given my time. And God was gentle with me, and he just let me be where I was. Um, My time with Jesus was different, but that wasn't wrong. Um, It was just different. Two years later, seasons changed again as we began to have kids. And if I thought I was disoriented before, (laughs) buckle up. Um, there was a good, solid three years where my relationship with Jesus was so simplistic. Um, gone were the days of an hour in the quiet with my Bible and my journal. There were little voices or step, footsteps that came to interrupt. And y'all, I felt guilty. Um, the guilt definitely crept in. I should be doing more, or my thoughts but I didn't have the energy to go outside of my family or outside of my job to serve. I I had to dial it back. But remember, God was teaching me that difference. okay. Um, In God's kindness, he assured me that it was just a season that I could meet with him as I sang Jesus Loves Me to my kids at night. And he promised to be there in the car with me when I actually chose to turn off my radio after dropping the kids off at daycare. In the quiet pockets um, that I actually did have, we met, we talked, God and I were together. I grieved those extended times, but the Lord was just as sweet with me in those 10 minutes in the car on my way to work as he was on those early mornings. I opened my hands to be present in the season God had me in and he showed up. He's pretty faithful like that. But y'all, then COVID hit and I was home alone, I was home with my kids all the time. And I knew that um, a podcast or a Christian song wasn't gonna be enough to um, help me survive and to help my children survive me. And, um, and so I needed more more than that. And his, in God's kindness, he invited me to consider those early mornings again. I had my mama legs under me a little bit more, had a little more energy. And I said, okay, I'll wake up a little earlier. And, um, and it's a rhythm that stuck on that started on my back porch, migrated inside as I got cold. And, um, I wouldn't trade those mornings that time in the morning, most mornings for any, anything in the world. Um, through it all, I can look back and I can see God just really tuning my ear to his voice. Um, he, he does it through scripture. Um, he does it through music, through my community, and through you guys, the church. Um, he's taught me how to pay attention to his voice and how to trust his timing. Um, he actually is everywhere if we slow down to see him. And that has helped me tremendously as I've transitioned out of full-time ministry into a more corporate setting, that I can actually see him on the floor of my office with people that are wildly different than me. I can see God. And when I'm tempted to look around in despair that I can't do X because of this stage of my life, um, the Lord is quick to encourage me to just be where I am. He knows my heart. He knows i desire to know him and to love him and to serve him and others Um, and that has looked different throughout the years but i'm so grateful that god's voice isn't different it's the same he doesn't change he meets me where i am and encourages me to embrace that place too and maybe this morning he's encouraging you to do the same thing thanks y'all
0: thank you cc I know it can feel weird when we clap, a um, couple of reasons. One, I want to give encouragement. We're not like clapping like, great, CC's better than everybody else, try to be like her, but we all can't rush up and give her a hug too, but it takes a lot of courage. And I'm, I'm thankful, one of the reasons that Stephanie and I, when we were chatting this week, thought about CC is um, ever since I've known CC, she's always been such a gracious listener. And I feel like she makes people feel so loved and how she listens so well. And the other reason I thought of her is because um, Stephanie and I have a fellow living with us named Bailey, who's amazing, who we love. The fellows program is for recent college graduates. And this is our third fellow who's lived with us the past five years. And. Um, early, Bailey's a lot like Cece. She gives her life away. She loves people so well. And after a week or two of being in our house, you know, with three kids, the ages we have, 630 to 830 is just like complete chaos mode and screaming and oatmeal getting thrown everywhere and hairs curly and, you know, fighting and whatever. And I'm like, Lord, I'm trying to be more contemplative and like pray and slow down. And Bailey just comes walking upstairs and fixes her cup of coffee and her yogurt parfait. And then she just walks back downstairs, closes the door. <laughs> So, after about two weeks, I said, Bailey, what do you do when you go downstairs? And she's like, Oh, I just have like an hour with Jesus. I listen to music and pray and journal, and it's so good. <laughs> and honestly, like, so I'll hear that, and I'm like, Oh, I'm such a failure. I need to get up at like four in the morning, maybe. And then, it really, like, through even through, through wise, gracious, loving friends like Cece, right, there's an invitation to, It's okay. And then I can, you know, with the season I'm in, that's just not possible. And then I can turn around and tell Bailey, enjoy it. It's going to go away pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Bailey's right here. I love Bailey. But anyways, let me pray. Worship team, come up and, then, and we'll respond. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, that you are in control of all things and that you work all things ultimately for the good of those that love you. Even if we don't understand it and even if we're confused and frustrated by the different seasons of our life and different circumstances that seem to happen upon us. You never change, even as Cece said, even your voice of tender affection and love towards your children never changes. So I do pray that your Holy Spirit will help us to live with more humble curiosity about what it looks like to live faithfully in glorifying you and serving others in the different seasons and stages of life that we find ourselves in. Thank you for the just the complex um, nature of your body and all the different um, parts, the hands and feet and eyes and ears and so many of the people that you bring that we have the privilege of being in community with. Um, Help us to love you well for your glory and also for our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.